0: Welcome to Biz Takeouts, Biz Community's sound bite-sized news to go, made possible by ACA, Association for Communications and Advertising. I'm your host, Rutendo Nyamuda. Coming up on today's show, A.B. Mokhotsane, Managing Executive for Brand and Communication at Vodacom, in conversation with Pritesh Suraj, CEO
1: of The Lurries. In the mid-1980s, Harvard released Uh, a paper that said that we should all be working from home when it comes to the 2000s. And yet we are in 2020 before it's happened. And I think the biggest challenge has been, there's been a challenge with trust from organizations. Will my employees work in a home environment? I think the biggest learning has been that, yes, you can trust your employees to work from a home environment. Productivity will be great. Um, And I think with that knowledge and that proof right now, a lot of organizations are gonna adapt to this new normal. It's time for Biz Takeouts.
0: I really want to look at some of the topics that have been brought to the forefront in the last couple of months. So these topics such as COVID-19, the Black Lives Matter movement, gender-based violence, the LGBTQIA plus community and inclusivity, as well as corruption. These are topics that have swept across the South African Uh, South African country as well as the entire globe and some brands have chosen to take a step forward and spoken up on the issues we will always come back to Nike with Colin Kaepernick and the ad campaign that was met with both controversy and praise but during these times I want to find out from you uh, should brands confront getting involved in these issues and ultimately you know, giving them somewhat credibility or, or being able to stand up for something or stand up against something? Or should they kind of step back?
2: I think that the, the brand's world is always going to be ever-changing. And I think that brands need to take a principled position uh, around where they stand and who they are and what their perspective is so that no matter what comes your way, you're able to respond authentically um, from a, a position that you've already held, that you've already debated internally, and you have already potentially even invested behind, um, so that it's not a new thing. You know, I think a lot of brands are caught in a situation where they've all of a sudden had to respond to a global controversy or local controversy and they have to go and kind of have the discussion first and say, okay guys, what is our view on this before they go out into the market and respond. And that is always going to make you slow. So my position is you should already have a predetermined view on how you are going to engage with these, these macro topics. So that when they hit you, your response is almost predetermined. And hopefully it's predetermined by positive, action and engagement that you've already taken. So you're simply speaking about what you've done rather than what it is you're going to do in response to, to a, a, a new, um, circumstance or a new,
1: um, advent.
0: And Pritesh, do you agree with what AB has said or do you have anything to add?
1: No, I wholeheartedly agree with AB. And I think just, just to add as well is, that from a consumer's point of view, a, a brand has a personality, right? And and they they give this this personality and expect a brand to stand for certain values. And if a brand doesn't actually stand for anything, it just, it just has a cold face. And what you've got to understand. Um, as a brand out in this world right now is that you are fully integrated into the consumer's life. So when they're having these discussions about these challenges in their lives and matters that really concern them, the brand is there in some form, whether it's on the feet of the people who are marching or whether it's on the tables of people uh, who are sitting over dinners and, and lunches and having these discussions, the brand is integrated into this experience. And if you're already part of this experience for the consumer in their mindset, and if you don't take a stand then you're going to be sitting in the gray area where the the consumer is going to look at the brand and go, this doesn't stand for anything. It doesn't resonate in my life. So therefore, as a brand, you've got to say, how can I authentically get involved in the conversation? But as AB rightfully said, this is not something you do as an afterthought. You start right at the beginning and you go on the journey with the consumer because whether you like it or not, you're already on that journey as as part of that integrated approach into their life.
2: You know, from the Black Lives Matter issue, blew up around the world I mean it's been going on for a very long time, but it kind of it it peaked um recently and Vodafone kind of sent out a statement around the fact that they support diversity, and you know it's kind of like really you know really solid statement in terms of their position uh, but they were able to say these are the campaigns and the initiatives that they've embarked on to ensure that there's diversity um in south africa in particular we as vodacom are number one be contributor so like there there isn't much more you need to tell people in terms of your support for black lives matter if you can prove in your balance sheet in your investment in your hiring practices um, in the way that you communicate that you support it uh, as part and parcel of how you operate. I think a lot of companies were caught behind where they wanted to take a principal position, but they couldn't back it with anything. So people started doing research and were like, oh, okay, so you believe in Black Lives Matter, but you don't have any black people on your board. What's that about? Um, and, you know, it's very difficult to respond at that stage.
0: And that said, how important is, is leadership as well as diversity within leadership? Um, but also authenticity, or authentic diversity, not just we're putting you in this position because we want to be seen as being as a diverse company. Ritesh, do you want to start with that?
1: Sure, yeah. And, and and I think with any organization, what you've got to realize is that if you're operating in, in diverse societies, you need diverse leadership in order to be able to, to have messaging and business strategy that resonates uh, with the diverse audiences who look to your brand and who, who invest their hard-earned money in your brand itself. And, and if you're not bringing in diverse voices and if you're not bringing in um, different people with different experiences, what you're doing is you're alienating a huge segment of, of society. If you think that you can only go through um, and, and have, if, if you have a board that's skewed towards one direction without the diversity needed to speak to society, eventually what's going to happen is you will be caught out through your messaging, through your communication, and 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 I've seen that happen recently in the in the last week or so, where uh, there was a major brand that's, that's been caught out. Let's not mention it, but that just happened in the in in the last week or so. So um, diversity is important, not just because it's 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 something that should be looked on as it's the right to do, but because it's also good business practice for you.
0: Mm-hmm. And Ab, for you, you, I think you've previously mentioned that you have internal steering committees and even charters. Can you share some of these processes with the audience?
2: There is more than enough IP out there that shows that diversity is definitely a better strategy in tackling problems, especially new problems as they arise, because you get a perspective from different quarters. That's been proven time and time again, so we don't need to speak about, about that, but I think what we've done from a brand perspective (coughs) is we've been quite deliberate to make sure that when we express ourselves, it's clear that diversity is something that we want to keep addressing. You know, so if you're going to brief in a commercial, uh, we are very specific around making sure, for example, that we represent underrepresented groups in society. We make sure that we don't perpetuate stereotypes. It's part of the brief. So, so there's structural um, the structural processes that we've put in place to make sure that when our brand shows up, it's responsive to what position we've taken as a as a as a as a, as a company um, in terms of doing that. So you know, we've been featuring gay people in our advertising for over five years, but it's not incidental; it's being deliberate because what we want to say as a brand is that it's okay, and people's sexual preferences are completely up to them, and love is love. So we make sure that we represent it in our advertising to make sure that that message lands. Because, I mean, let's face it, you know, um, marketing uh, and advertising really influences culture in a massive way. And we have a huge responsibility to play in how we amplify message to make sure that we build and create the right culture.
0: And some of that culture and, and some of that in terms of getting the message out there is also the relationship that you build with agencies, whether they're PR agencies or media agencies. And I want to find out, and I'll start with A B, for many clients, working with ad agencies is by far the most fun. It's where you see your visions come to life. Can you comment on how the communication sectors, so PR agencies, media, are helping clients breathe life into their purpose, into their true north, into the message that they want to get out?
2: Yeah, we find, again, we, we've been very clear around our purpose being to connect for a better future. And that leads the way that we speak about our financial performance. It leads the way that we speak about how we hire people. It leads the way that we innovate as a company and it certainly leads the way that we brief work in. So whenever we brief a piece of work in, we are saying, how is this piece of work going to help us achieve our objective of connecting for a better future? And we found that it really gives the agency uh, a very clear lens around what kind of work, to contemplate and what kind of opportunities to, to, to look for. So, you know, I, the, the, the trickiest thing that I think clients um, and agencies have to get right is to kind of set the creative guardrails that allows everyone to create efficiently. Um, there's a lot of wheel spin in this kind of interchange between the brief and eventually what kind of what work kind of gets, comes out. And we found that we've been able to save a lot of time but being very clear around what our, what our true north is with, with, our, with our agencies.
0: And Pritesh, you've seen a lot of campaigns. You've obviously seen a lot come through, especially with your involvement at the Lurie's. So can you comment on how the communication sectors, PR agencies, from what you've seen, are really able to connect and translate businesses' uh, uh, core values and the messaging?
1: yeah I think you know one of the key so so I come from the other side so while a b has come from agency into brand, I came from brand and i'm in in the Lurie's and the, the the interesting dynamic that i that actually see is that key and for key at the at the foremost is that there's a partnership between brand and agency um, and and in the agency ecosystem what you change, i think one of the nicest things I see it's one of the most diverse group of people and they hire very diverse thinkers into the ecosystem to be able to come and bring lots of new ideas. And because of that, one of the things that I'm finding is that the agencies challenge the brands quite a bit to think differently and go in different directions as well. And because of that, that partnership results in in communication and messaging out there that really supports society at large, uh, supports really diverse thinking and diverse communication. And and from what the work that we're seeing, I mean, one of the things we saw at the Luries is we more than doubled the amount of submissions we normally get every year. Is that this work, even in a tough time like this, is is moving forward and you're seeing a lot more of it right now. So you're finding that agencies are supporting brands quite a bit in their communication.
0: Mm-hmm. Amy, coming back to you, how do you propose that objectives impact on technical Or rather, technological innovation.
2: Yeah, I I mean, again, you know, I always go back to the source. What is your source code? Um, And you know, the the innovation pipeline is, for me, exactly the same in the kind of the creative pipeline. It's just another way that the company is kind of presenting and producing products and services to meet a particular demand. It's exactly the same as creating a piece of communication. So what we found is that when we've been clear about what our purpose is. Um, it's enabled and unleashed and unlocked the best talent within our business to be able to um, advance in their respective streams of work in a way that that advances. And I'll give you I'll give you some some examples. From a technological perspective, um, we've innovated products and services that completely meet our purpose. So one of the the platforms that we've got is a platform called eSchool, where we've been able to get the entire public school syllabus um, onto Um, a platform that is freely accessible to anyone on the Vodacom network. Um, and it's already, I mean, that's from grade R to grade 12. We've already got about 1.4 million people on this particular platform. Um, and that was an innovation that came around from the tech team because they needed to build a platform that would help South Africans connect to a better future. And that's just, so you think, you know, tech, that's something that kind of makes uh, sense for, for the, for the technology team, but also, even from a finance team perspective, one of the things we've been able to do is we've been able to bring down the amount of time it takes to pay SMMEs from 30 days to three days from invoice. We pay SMMEs on average in three days from the time that they give us an invoice. Um, And that was the finance team saying, how can we cut down this process to be able to help these SMMEs connect to a better future? So, you know, once your source, it's clear, it's much easier for everyone to create and co-create um, to meet its, its specific objective.
0: I'm sure so many SMMEs are delighted to hear you say you've managed to cut down the payment period from 30 days to three days. And Preetesh, for you, what would you say um, are the pur- how purpose objectives are able to or have impacted technological innovation or made use of technological innovation?
1: Well, so so I didn't come from a technology side, so it's, it's always a tough one to look at. But from some ways looking out as, as a consumer, I think one of the key things that we can look at is that there are massive challenges even going into this lockdown period as well and and from a global space to try and communicate and to be able to deliver the messaging and the communication you have to communities. And one of the things that, that we found that's been absolutely amazing is that um, thanks to people like Vodacom in terms of work that they've done in their network, but also in terms of like platforms like this, such as Zoom. The innovation that's happened to meet society's problems has been so rapid, and, and the continuous developments that are happening are happening at such a rapid pace that, that this doesn't feel uncomfortable anymore. As Rutendo, you and I were chatting, we met face to face, but there's no difference in this. We can still share ideas, still communicate, and still achieve our objectives. And I think that's one of the key things in terms of the ecosystem we're in right now and the experience that everyone's having is that despite the challenges, the advances and the innovation and the innovation pipeline has been so robust that it's been great for us as as consumers out there.
2: I find if I could just build on what, what Pratesh was saying. In mm-hmm. terms of people being able to just mold the innovation around uh, what kind of, core customer and consumer needs are. Um, We all kind of use Zoom now as a, a, it started off as a meeting application. And obviously Zoom's numbers went up. I think there's something like 500 million people on Zoom um, every minute um, uh, at some stage. I think I'm part of um, a a kind of a, a Friday network that hosts Zoom parties. And it's literally a couple of DJs who kind of play in a sequence through the night. And it's a house party, so everyone plugs in from their house, you plug your computer into your TV screen, and it's an interactive party with people that you that you know that you would normally socialize with face to face, but everyone is just chilling in their houses, listening to the same music that they would be engaging in. And it's just, for me, for something that started off at, you know, started off with like 30 people on a Friday night, there are now over 230 people every Friday that are doing this thing. And, you know, that's just one example. I've heard of many other kind of, you know, uh, um, you know, consequential innovations that have happened with the Zoom platform. And I think that's going to keep happening. Mm. Um, even when things return to what we hope is a better normal, I think these, these new app platforms and technologies that we've been able to identify are going to stay with us in some sort of new way, but they're never going to go. You know, we're never going to go back to, to how things used to be.
0: That, that's that's the, one of the big questions is, is how much of, of pre-COVID will come back in terms of even the way the companies ran, um, your staff complement, office spaces, uh, and then how much will people adapt to saying, actually, um, Zoom meetings are fantastic, Zoom parties are fantastic. So it'll be really, really interesting to see how things get back to the way they used to be or if this is certainly now the new normal.
1: Uh, yeah, just to add on that, I think it, we've had the ability to do this, maybe not not at this technological level and it keeps growing and developing, but like in, in the mid 1980s, Harvard released uh, a paper that said that we should all be working from home when it comes to the 2000s and yet we are here in 2020 before it's happened. And I think the biggest challenge has been, there's been a challenge with trust from organizations. Will my employees work in a home environment? I think the biggest learning has been that, yes, you can trust your employees to work from a home environment. Productivity will be great. Um, And I think with that knowledge and that proof right now, a lot of organizations are going to adapt to this new normal.
0: On that, I would like to actually know what both of your viewpoints and opinions are on the typical nine to five. Do you believe that that structure of the nine to five is something that works or should companies also readjust and relook at these hours like this is office hours this is office time this is when your work is done a b to start with you yeah
2: i think i think it depends on what the role is you know there are nine to five roles There are you know call center agents that need to be available from a specific time they can only take lunch at a particular time and they knock off at a particular time because that's how you manage the volume of people that need to be uh, able to access your call center so i think those kind of roles are always going to be nine to five Um, but then you're going to get other roles that are more output related. So if you need to write a strategy document or you need to be able to kind of, you know, uh, get a pitch together for a new product launch, those type of things are really going to be, uh, uh, you know, based on when that particular product or that product, that, that unit of work needs to be delivered. And -hmm. I think in that context, and I think a lot of us are in that scope of work, uh, that doesn't really matter. Like nine to five makes, makes no sense. I can tell you that for the majority of my team, we haven't been in the office since mid March For the majority of my team. We are probably working longer hours than we used to when we used to travel into the office, which is, which is a problem that we, we are dealing with. Um, but we are all much more productive than, than we used to be the, the commute into the office. Uh, for us, for all of us, it has saved us countless amounts of hours and God knows how much it saved um, the the kind of the, the climate that, that we're in. Because we literally, are, 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 you know, we're up and we can get to work. I think the problem, however, is, and someone said this to me the other day, one of our legal representatives at work said, um, we're not working from home, uh, we, we, we live at work. Uh, and I think we, we should be very careful not to let this new kind of freedom that we find creep in so much into our home environment that we can no longer draw the distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, time is going to be, the, your output is going to be um, much more delivery based and your time that you allocate is going to be much more variable for most of the tasks that, that, that we operate in. And it's going to require a huge amount of trust um, from, from all the people that we work in.
1: Yeah, completely agree with A.B. Agree um, I, think, I think there's functional roles that, that's not going to change where it's still going to have to be within a time frame. But the reality is that we're now in a world where the psychological barrier between the home environment and work environment has been totally broken. Because previously, even if you did some work from home, you knew you'd, you'd be in the office and then you'd spend two or three hours a day maybe at home just to be able to deliver something. That's gone um, to such a point that I've noticed during the lockdown period, we don't really Keep a certain work hour, work time. Weekends don't necessarily exist. And if things yeah. need to happen on a weekend, it, it happens on a weekend. Um, and it's interesting looking at the history of, of how we got to the point we are right now, because Sundays used to be church days. And then Ford Motor Company uh, started giving their employees a Saturday off uh, because they couldn't sell enough cars. And they realized that if they gave them time off, they could spend time looking at buying cars. And that's how we ended up with the two day weekend. And a lot of people assume that we'd naturally evolved to a three-day weekend at some point in future but the reality is i think we're getting to such a spillover and a blurring effect um, that this current model is going to end up with us working at any time as long as we deliver what needs to happen mm-hmm. and it's dangerous it's dangerous it's from a psychological perspective you've, you've got to take care of yourself in this
0: Um, One of my favorite personal quotes is, with great power comes great responsibility. And so I want to find out from the both of you, what responsibilities do global multinationals and networks in the African space have to give back or to influence for the good? Uh, Preetesh, we'll start with you.
1: Yeah, I think I think if, if we speak about global multinationals, it's w- when they come into the African space, it's about the mindset that they come in. If that mindset is purely let me come in and use this as a profit center and, and, and just make as much money and take it out. Uh, I think that's the absolute wrong mindset to come in. What we've got to look at is how do you change that mindset to one as where I'm coming into societies as a multinational into societies, into communities, to partner with these communities and societies um, to unlock value that's mutually beneficial. And, and if that's the mindset that, that they're coming in with this responsibility to grow, because that growth helps them as well, I think they're on the right trajectory and the right path. Um, but if, if you have a company that's coming in purely with the mindset that it's a profit center, that they can come in, take some cash out, and report it to somewhere else, uh, that's not going to serve them in the long run, and they and they won't last long in the in society.
2: And A.B. for you this is something that's very close to my heart. I think, you know, the original paper um, on shared value was actually written um, in the 90s, and the the whole premise is that there's no way that the world is going to be sustainable if business doesn't create uh, societal wealth as it, at the same time as it creates um, shareholder wealth. Um, and that's proven that business case is proving itself time and time again, because customers are much more, uh, they are choosing to partner with companies and support companies that support society. And, you know, my, my core belief is that business has an opportunity, has the best chance of changing the world than any other function, more than political parties, more than religious Um, groupings um, um, more than governments it's business that's going to make the biggest difference because that is what funds progress Um, and if we can find a model that is able to balance profits um, and and kind of making the world a better place I think we really found we we will find something that is a leave of progress for us that that, that works so there is a hundred percent responsibility of multinationals especially to be able to create uh, a better world in which we all, which we'll all live in. And I think more and more it's becoming vogue that, that, that companies are speaking about this, And I think a lot of companies are speaking about it because it, it, it sounds great.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but more and more, society is getting better at actually holding them to account on those promises that they, that they make.
0: And any final thoughts or burning insights that you wanna share with the audience today? We will start with Pritesh.
1: Yeah, I think if if I can leave everyone with just one thought, um, you know, we're, we're in a creative field and I think it's, it's important for people to realize as well that creativity um, makes good business sense as well. So being able to speak to varying audiences, being able to create, being able to put new ideas out there helps ensure that we have innovation and that creates thinking that ensures robust innovation pipelines for society as well. So one of the things that we shouldn't allow this pandemic to do is stop the creative experience of the human expression that we have. And if we can keep working towards that, um, then we're got, what we're going to find is that we'll come out of this stronger, um, uh, as if it never happened at all.
0: AB for you.
2: If I can just build on that, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, t- considering the audience that we are speaking to, I think that agencies, um, just as their their clients are evolving to understand what their purpose, ambition is and how to make that come to life. I think that agencies also need to understand and start building on the capacity within themselves and the practice of creating and finding purpose-led solutions and purpose-led practices, not only within their respective businesses, because they're also a business entity, but how do they take that and add value to a client's own purpose ambition. And if your client doesn't have one, how do you help your client become a purpose led um, organization and find creative and innovative solutions that help your client achieve those? I think that's going to be, you know, in my view, the next big commercial opportunity for for agencies, for agencies out there. Just as customers uh, for, for companies are choosing companies that are purpose led, I think that clients are going to start choosing agencies that are purpose-led and that in turn help them to be be purpose-led organizations.
0: And that's a wrap on today's show. Biz Takeouts, take it where you like it, when you like it, how you like it.